It's all the files of the whole park. It tells you everything. Sir, he's uploading the virus. Eagle one, the package is being delivered. Right now, many of us are sitting indoors, quarantined from the world, stocked up on supplies and watching way too much Netflix. You might even feel the impulse to order goods to your doorstep, so you fire up your Amazon account and order some quarantine trinkets. Amazon Prime is a fantastic service with more than 100 million members worldwide. Most people use it to take advantage of the free two-day shipping, but the benefits don't end there. I get it. It's easy. And before this plague, it seemed completely normal. But behind that push of a button, an entire workforce of Amazon workers, some with no health insurance or union protecting their employment, are struggling through their orders, knowing the virus is either in their fulfillment center or it's coming. In fact, it already happened miles from me in New York City. First though, today in New York's Catherine Craig's live outside an Amazon warehouse in Woodside, Queens, where we've learned a worker there, Kat, has tested positive. This week, we're talking to Lauren Gurley of Motherboard to discuss how the workers of Amazon, headed by the single richest man in the entire world, are faring during this very trying time. I'm Ben Maku, and this is Cyber. Okay, so, um, Lauren, Amazon, yeah. how is it being affected by basically the plague? <laughs> um, well, so I think it was pretty obvious from when this first sort of like a week ago that Amazon wouldn't be able to continue its, you know, second two-day prime delivery system as it had been um, when this started to get really bad because inevitably workers were going to get sick. Um, the supply chain was going to falter in some way. Like trade has really slowed down from China. Um, you know, uh, there are some shortages of all sorts of different supplies like toilet paper and just basic goods. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it seemed like this was going to happen and it did, it has started to happen. Amazon has really like limited down their supplies to just like basic um, goods and things. They're not doing the full, uh, they're, they're not, they're not offering all of the, the, the goods that they normally offer online anymore. Um, last week, the first warehouse worker tested positive for coronavirus. Um, it became public, at least the first worker in a warehouse in Queens in New York. Um, they temporarily shut down for like three hours to do a deep clean and then they reopened the next morning. Um, which, Seems like pretty irresponsible, and a lot of workers felt extremely unsafe who were going to work there. Um, but I mean, I'm thinking that as this continues to happen, um, you know, workers are going to infect each other, and like we were just, yeah, the, the infection rate is super high. Um, I don't see how they can go on, you know, opening warehouses, leaving them open when workers are sick inside of them, and not suffering like huge consequences in terms of people getting really ill, like. The, the disease spreading really rapidly. Um, I, I don't see how that's going to work out for them. Same thing for their the whole logistics chain, like especially their last delivery, last mile delivery workers who are often gig workers or Amazon flex workers. Um, they're extremely exposed because they come into contact with packages that have been in so many people's hands along the whole, like the whole supply chain, and then they're delivering them to people. Um, and they have very, very few benefits. They don't receive, you know, paid 
paid sick time, paid time off, unless they test positive for coronavirus, which it's like, how can you even get tested right now? Um, so I think, yeah, throughout <laughs> throughout the entire supply chain, like workers are extremely vulnerable. Um, and I think that's going to cause some big challenges, continue to cause some big challenges to Amazon's logistics um, as, as this continues over the next few weeks. Well, because that's the thing. It's just sort of like you think about it where these Amazon packages are not stopping. And this whole, I mean, we're, we're both in New York right now. We're basically confined to our apartments. And yet it's sort of <laughs> this dehumanization of the, the people who are actually making sure we get these packages. I mean, I'm not, I'm not ordering anything right now, but it seems yeah. to me like it's not as if those people and however that magical package ends up at your door from the internet. And when you order it to, you know, in, inside your apartment, it's not like they're not affected by coronavirus. Right. No. And I think a lot of people from what I've been seeing, from what I've been hearing from workers, are a lot of people are just working when they're sick because they can't afford not to because they live, they already are living paycheck to paycheck. They don't have good health care. In some cases, they don't have health care. Um, what are you going to do when, you know, you start to have a fever and like you need to pay for food or basic things like that and you can't get tested? Uh, you can you keep working, especially if, you know, you have children or stuff or something like that. Um, so I think you're, you're having a lot of people who are working while they're sick, not just at Amazon, at UPS, all sorts of delivery companies, all sorts of gig workers, um, which brings up an important thing. I think it's like you're saying, it's, it's, it's unethical to order off of Amazon right now or to rely on, you know, especially if you're ordering like some sort of frivolous thing that isn't like a, a real necessity, um, or if you're, you know, makes sense also if you're sick and you need to stay inside your house. But I don't, I don't see like ordering random shit off of, you know, websites as like a, as an ethical, you know, move to be making as a consumer right now. Yeah. And, and it kind of begs the other question because we've, we've talked about this on this show. And I think this is a major issue that Amazon has faced, period. But it's not as if these people are unionized and have access to company paid for or company bought into health insurance. Right, right. And yeah, you've seen, I mean, I've seen just today, like AT&T workers, workers who are unionized are receiving like really, I mean, comparatively like amazing packages through this, like 30 or 18 weeks of paid time off and like eight weeks of paid time off if you're a parent at AT&T, which is unionized. Amazon is offering none of this stuff, like no paid leave if you're a parent, like you have to, like the only way you're getting anything out of this or you're, you're getting paid while being sick is if you test positive for coronavirus. And this has been echoed by all sorts of tech companies, by Lyft, Uber, Instacart, like the, the, <laughs> the difference between being unionized and being not unionized is like making all the difference right now. Um, and it also, you gotta, you gotta think to yourself too, it's sort of like, well, you know, Jeff Bezos is the richest man in the entire goddamn world. He's probably holed up in some sort of compound right now, swigging <laughs> cocktails. And you have these pe these poor people who are working their asses off being exposed to coronavirus. And also what you do a three hour cleanup and it's done. Like, I, I don't know. It just it's it's it seems right. wildly unethical. Right. I think it, I, I didn't mention this already, but it's similar situation at Whole Foods, which is owned by Amazon, of course. Um, they had two cases. The first two cases became public last week, um, which we covered. One was at the Whole Foods in uh, Bryant Park. And in both instances, Whole Foods 
they did the same thing. They they shut down a few hours early to do a deep clean, and they opened the next morning. They didn't tell customers that someone who was infected had been in the store, and they did make uh, employees aware, but they didn't. They haven't really spelled out a plan to employees, like what happens, you know, down the road when this continues. Are you ever going to shut? Are they ever going to shut down the store? Because you know the way this is being transmitted transmitted is through person to person contact. So. Um, you know, working with coworkers who've possibly been exposed, um, you know, is is a huge risk to a lot of older older workers in these places, and it's also a huge risk to customers. Um, Amazon and Whole Foods have chosen um, to you know prioritize the economic benefits here, which are massive. Um, a lot of Whole Foods stores and Amazon definitely has been selling out of items in recent days. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's also just it's completely and utterly absurd in many ways when you think about it. <laughs> um, okay, so so question for you because you and Ed have been doing some some excellent work surrounding. Uh, employment and the gig economy and how the internet is sort of exploiting people and not and not allowing for things like unions to to actually form is right now watching this go down with the coronavirus is it sort of like watching this cheat code that you already knew existed take down a system that is extremely flawed yeah so i think everything all of the labor issues that workers in this country have faced for decades if not longer are coming to you know into the spotlight now. People are recognizing them. They're calling them out because of the crisis. But all of this, you know, predates the crisis. Gig workers, Uber drivers, Lyft drivers, the people who deliver your food for Instacart, for DoorDash, for Grubhub, etc. They they've never had over they've never had paid sick days. They've never had health care. They've never been had the right to form unions. They've never had, you know, paid parental leave or anything like that. In fact, companies aren't even required to pay them the minimum wage. Um, and so, you know, I think it's important that we remember this now and remember how people who are mad right now kind of are able to sustain that rage um, because this is going to end and people will forget about it again, but workers will continue to suffer. So I think it's really important um, that we pay, pay attention to this. It's not just gig workers. It's also, you know, Amazon warehouse workers who part-timers there just one paid time off. But before that, they didn't have those benefits. Um, most workers who are sort of contingent do not have um, many of the benefits that white collar workers uh, have. So I think it's important that we recognize that. Yeah. And I, I just, you know, I can't help but think that in so many different ways we're being confronted with, you know, the last how many probably decade in which we downloaded countless apps where we just ordered things off the internet and just everything was just sort of this magical process that that occurred and then now we're actually we're watching all this sort of fall apart because of of how exploitative that whole process is and and kicking us out of the the system of watching human beings actually carry out what we need from them when we download that app and to me I think it's it, it's interesting to watch that that go down because I don't I don't think people really cared until they were like, wait, I can't get my my shit four days faster than I wanted. And like, that's what got them. to That's what got them to this point. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, 
it definitely has taken this crisis for people to realize a lot of these things that have been going on for a long time. I think part of that comes from the fact that these gig economy apps have sort of touted themselves as being um, progressive, as having flexible working conditions, as being sort of appealing to young people, to, to parent, to young mo- mothers, to parents, to, um, you know, people who a lot of people enjoyed the flexibility of these things, but they don't realize that there's literally no safety net here. Um, as contractors, which gig workers are, they literally, um, you know, as we said, don't have any of the basic labor protections, um, including the right to form unions that, uh, most em- or all employees have under federal law. It's, I mean, it's the same thing as like, we're, we're now for the first time, probably in, in society's history, we're appreciating grocery store workers as a, as a collective, you know what I mean? And like the things that they have to do to give us food, which is so essential. Yeah, that's so true. So many workers who form perform, you know, basic services um, to the country who are low wage and are often forgotten are finally being appreciated, I think, um, because they're being exposed and they're working on the front lines of this pandemic. Um, I feel like workers really, you know, the, the, the grocery store workers who I've spoken to really do want people to know that they, they think their work is essential and they, um, you know, believe in a lot of workers believe that, you know, they enjoy their job and they enjoy the services, they're providing the services that they do right now. They think that they're essentially very critical, um, but they wish that, you know, they were treated as such that they would, you know, no one would, they wish, I think, that no one had to be forced to work under these conditions. Well, Lauren, I think you're going to have a busy few weeks, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, but keep, keep this up because I think people need to know. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. All right, so uh, Jason, we're back. We're back in our apartments. I mean, I sh- sh- should I say, still in our apartments? <laughs> always, always in our apartments. Yeah, I'm doing well though. Spirits are high. Spirits are much higher for me this week than they were last week, which probably doesn't track since things are not really objectively much better. But I think I am just feeling better today because I woke up and took a shower and uh, got dressed and did the things that I normally do before work. So I feel like more of a human. I, so I have not been doing that. I kind of don't have a problem with it. Like I, I, like what I've been doing is, is going for a run midday and that's sort of my breakup. But like, I can't, I I can't, I don't know. Maybe my mind is too curb your enthusiasm, but I can't be like getting my clothes on in the morning. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing that for? In my head, I'm like, why are you doing that? What's the point? 
Yeah, I mean, I that's that's fair. No one is seeing me except my girlfriend and my dog. That is fair. See, over and over and over again, all day, every day. <laughs> see, nobody's seeing me. Not a soul. Just me. That's good. That's great. But I did think of this thing this way. There, there should be an article on this. If we're in this for a few months, I will literally not touch a human, like make no human contact for months. Like I, how many, yeah, I know how many times has anyone like, has any, have, do you ever experience that in your entire life? Probably never. It's a, it's a good test, man. It's a, it's an interesting, it's a, it's an objectively bad thing that is happening. However, it's giving us like a lot of weird experiences that we would never have otherwise, it's def- which is, it's not a good thing. It's just, it's just like a different form of living that is notable. It's teaching us something. I think, I think we're going to be less shitty at the end of this. I have a feeling. Yeah, I hope so. I also have been playing a lot of PlayStation, which I bought. I bought a PlayStation the other day, which I know. I know you're not about that games life, but you know it's been fun. You know, you're the second second friend of mine who's bought a PlayStation. Is that the is that the console of choice these days? No, I think people have been buying Switches because uh, Animal Crossing just came out, and it's like uh, it's an easier entry point for people who didn't have a video game console. All right. But uh, I have a Switch already, so I got a, a PlayStation. In any case, uh, good to see you. And uh, we got some, well, we got some stories to talk about, yeah? We do, yeah. Um, in fact, let's start with this one because it's it's hopeful in some ways. Uh, Motherboard staff, we, we published an article collectively called The World After This. And it was basically just, you know, our call to how this, this shit needs to change, my friend. Yeah, um, this was a great story. Uh, it was written by basically everyone on staff. Like we divided it up and had different sections for each person, so... Uh, Jordan Pearson, our senior editor in Canada, spearheaded it. And one thing that's become very clear throughout this crisis is that a lot of society is fake. Uh, And by that, I mean, once the pandemic hit, we saw ISPs roll back their broadband data caps. Uh, You know, we saw cities say that they're no longer going to arrest people for low-level nonviolent infractions. Uh, We saw... Things like interest rates on student loans get frozen and, you know, rent moratoriums and and stuff like this. And it's like, these are all systems that have been set up to control the population, to allow companies to profit off of the misery of others and so on and so forth. And in an emergency, we can just roll them back and not really have any sort of uh, consequences. So... I think that the pandemic has sort of laid bare the things that already weren't working in society and hopefully coming out of this, which, you know, we will come out of it maybe in a couple of months, maybe longer than that. Hopefully, hopefully it's on the shorter end, but uh, coming out of this, there are things that we can do that will make society more equitable for all. So we basically got everyone on staff to write uh, how within the area of coverage that they normally write about, things could change for the better as we leave this emergency. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 this, is whole, this whole experience is really laying to bear, I mean, the faults in American capitalism in particular. And I think like when we think about it, it's all these things that are being laid to bear, sort of the beats in which we cover very closely, especially when you look at uh, the labor movement vis-a-vis Silicon Valley, the surveillance state, I mean, public transit, especially in this city, is just a disaster. There's so many things in the U.S. that this is sort of seemingly 
showing the fault of. And there was a great, I think there was a great article in Slate on this. And I think there's been a lot of great pieces that I think have highlighted the problems with, with what's going on. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, another thing is like, yeah, things like universal healthcare, there are now, there's more, um, momentum behind the idea that everyone should have healthcare as a human right. There's also this idea that, uh, you know, we're talking about sending checks to people, uh, you know, a universal basic income, which was obviously one of Andrew Yang's big uh, presidential platforms. And there's discussion now of sending checks to people who have lost their jobs as a result of the pandemic. And I think it's like, we can do these things. We just don't because the way society is sort of set up right now is to allow a minority of the population to generate a ton of wealth and then to use that wealth to control things like the markets and labor and, and stuff like that. So uh, in seeing that a lot of this, like in, I think that the pandemic has laid bare how false, like how a lot of the stuff quite literally is just a sham or their policies enacted to protect the wealthy. So we wrote an article about what could change coming out of this. And uh, it's a very hopeful and optimistic piece. So I hope you all check it out because there's been so much bad news of late that I think, you know, taking a moment to think about how, what we can learn from this crisis is it's a, it's a good time to do that. So another interesting story coming out of this, uh, this, this plague pandemic, <laughs> um, libraries, the FCC says it's okay for them to use their bookmobiles as free Wi-Fi trucks. I think that this is an amazing idea. This is a, this is extremely uh, punk rock of libraries, which are a notably punk rock institution. It's like libraries are very anti-censorship. They're very like free, free the information. Uh, you know, they're a place where people can go to get connected to the internet for free. There is also a push by a bunch of nonprofit or one nonprofit to have a library serve as tour exit nodes for a while. So there's a lot of um, libraries that help keep the dark web online, which is really cool. And yeah, earlier this week, the uh, American Library Association wrote a letter to the FCC saying that, yes, we have to close because of the coronavirus, but there are so many people who rely on us to connect to the internet to apply for jobs. And that's obviously going to become more pressing as people lose their jobs. So what they're proposing is to turn their bookmobiles, which take books to senior citizens and disabled people and all sorts of other people, uh, turn them into like mobile hotspots and just broadcast broadband from these trucks, which I think is really cool. I think it's great, especially when you when you think of some of the, you know, especially the conversations around having, you know, internet access being a human right. This is the kind of thing that I think maybe we'll learn from this in the future. Maybe there will be, you know, government trucks that have to go around and do this. I don't know. I think it's, I think it's a sweet idea. It's also, it's also just like the, another thing that the pandemic is showing is that, you know, there are still so many people who don't have internet access at their house. And that's because, uh, you know, the internet, like internet access in this country is something that is very expensive compared to a lot of other developed nations. It's something that, uh, it's very monopolistic where you have companies like Verizon and Comcast and Time Warner and uh, Charter and Spectrum and all these other uh, internet companies that 
nominally exist in the same space, but they operate in different cities. And so they're not actually competing against each other. And so you have like, like Philadelphia and DC are Comcast cities, but in New York city, we don't have Comcast. We have a uh, spectrum, which is Cox cable uh, turned into spectrum. And then like on the West coast, you have some other companies and then Fios from Verizon is like in some places and it's not uh, profitable to build out internet infrastructure to, you know, rural areas or even parts of cities that are lower income. So you have all these people who aren't connected to the internet and now suddenly everyone is being asked to work from home and you you have people who can't connect to the internet at all or are using their cell phones as hotspots where they're paying, you know, a lot of money for data and that sort of thing. So you end up sort of exposing how big this problem is and the fact that libraries are able to fill in some of those gaps is really cool. It's, it's amazing. It's, um, it's just like, who knows how this is going to affect coming out of this, you know, like what, what the example will set. So I think it's, you know, if there's any positives that come out of, uh, our lives in this time of quarantine, I hope it's that. All right. So the last one, I do like this bored people flooding stores to browse, to just browse. It's, Really, this so I mean, this story is like it will make you weep for humanity because for the last few weeks, you know, every single uh, public health expert has been saying, "Stay home, stay home, stay home," and we've allowed uh, quote unquote essential businesses to stay open, which obviously are like grocery stores, pharmacies, um, you know, doctors' offices, and hospitals and stuff like that. But you've also had this situation where like GameStop was arguing that it was an essential store um, and asking their employees to hand flyers to the police saying like, hey, we're an essential store. We need to stay open. Um, And so stores that are still open, like all over the country include Lowe's, Home Depot, Office Depot, Sherwin-Williams, the paint store. And it's like, sure, these places sell cleaning supplies. Um, You know, if you if your hot water heater breaks or something in a pandemic and uh, you don't have hot water, like that could be a really bad thing if you live in a cold area. So I can understand why some of these stores need to stay open, but as a result of being deemed essential by local governments and the stores that run them, I mean, the stores deem themselves essential and the local government then also deems them essential. So they're allowed to stay open Uh, You have these people who can't go to bars, can't go to restaurants, are being asked to stay inside, who are just going to stores and wandering around because they're bored, because they have nothing else to do. And I think, you know, we didn't talk to customers in this case. We talked to, I think, 12 different employees who worked at Office Depot, Lowe's, Sherwin-Williams, and Best Buy. And they're like, our sales are completely through the roof. Uh, We have people who come here and are just openly saying like, I'm so bored at home, but we're allowed to come here. So I'm, we're coming here and we're just going to wander around. So you have people who are like wandering around Lowe's for like hours at a time because they just don't feel like being at home. And then they buy like the one example that really threw me is like this one guy just bought a bird feeder. Like after spending hours in a Lowe's, you just walk around, buy a single bird feeder and go home. And it's like, Everyone is telling you to stay home. Like, why are these people doing it? It's wild. I mean, I I get it to an extent. I really do. But, you know, 
If you just look at the example that China has set in terms of getting rid of this virus, it's all about us all stopping. It's like self-discipline. Yeah, and, and it's I, stopping I mean, going I, I outside. I get it too. You know, like, like, it sucks, but like you need to stay indoors. And if you're sick, go get tested. You know, like we need to test, test, test and stay indoors. It's the only way we're going to yeah, push through this. It's like, like, yeah, yeah. it's like you're talking about two, three, four weeks of this being like super miserable and you staying in your house or like, a year or longer as, uh, you know, if you, if people keep going to, to Lowe's to buy bird feeders and they infect people, it's like, it's just going to stay and, and it's going to linger and it's going to last a lot longer. So yeah, uh, stay inside. Although I agree with you, like I get the impulse, um, you know, I have certainly, I'm going to try to stop doing it, but it's like, oh, we're out of like butter. Like, let me go get butter real quick from the store around the corner and I'll like go and come right back. I'm not spending like a bunch of time out there, but it's just like, oh, an excuse to leave the house. And that's not a good thing. So uh, I've started writing down the things that we need and trying to go like once a week or once every 10 days. And that's probably the move. Um but yeah, like the people at the stores don't appreciate it. They're like, why the fuck are all these people just here window shopping? They're supposed to stay at home. So stay at home. And with that, people stay at home because I want this to end. Let's all just make this end. I know. God, like, please let it end before summer so I can go to the beach guilt free, you know? I know. Well, I'm going to go either way. So it, it'll, <laughs> it'll, it'll only happen if we uh, if we lock ourselves inside. Exactly. And listen to cyber. And listen to just, cyber. Just uh, marathon cyber on repeat. Marathon cyber. All right. Bye. Farewell, Ben. This week's episode was recorded by me, Ben Maku, and produced and hosted and edited by Ricardo Contreras. You'll be hearing from us next week. And stay safe, everyone. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.